Good morning. So in the first service, I described this as a really awkward game show setup. And at the end of the first service, a woman came down and I thought, well, she, she's going to tell us what a great job she did. And she goes, well, if it isn't the Three Stooges. So I'll let you decide whether awkward game show or Three Stooges once we're done. Um, change. As a verb, it means to make different, to make radically different, or to give a different position, course, or direction to. As a noun, it can mean the act, process, or result of changing. And in our lives, it can have really different meanings. You know, I, I want to change. Or a doctor coming in saying, you need to change. Or from painful memories of my childhood, my parents going, you better change your attitude right now. Or come January 1st every year, all of us decide we're going to make a change. We might decide that we're going to be healthier. We're going to do things differently this year. We're going to get more educated or a better job. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And in fact, the Bible's full of examples of change. And there's something inside of us, especially as Christians, that should drive us to try and be better, to bring God's kingdom to this fallen world, to our fallen world. And if we are going to improve ourselves or this world around us, we need to have the courage to change. And sometimes change can be scary, but oh, it can be exciting as well. From the end of Deuteronomy, Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city, the palm trees as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he was buried in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Hor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eyes undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses had been in charge for over 40 years, leading this group, and sometimes disobedient and unrepentant people, but he led them to the promised land. Right on the edge, they were right on the edge, change. And what a big change it was. These people who had trusted Moses, even when they were disobedient, had followed him. And now he was gone. And this is a big deal because Moses is kind of like on the Mount Rushmore of biblical heroes. He's kind of a big deal. Now you have Joshua. But Joshua was ready. And he was ready to lead these people because he had God with him. For those of you who've been to Che Romero's services, you'll know that 
this has become a powerful way that they begin their day, and I have to say it's now the way I begin mine. From the book of Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was the comfort Joshua had when he replaced Moses. And that's the comfort that we have whenever change comes into our lives as well. Joshua had the courage to follow what God had called him to do. And in some ways, Joshua turned out to be even a greater leader than Moses. He led the Israelites into many victorious battles, even though they were hopefully outnumbered. God had called Joshua. But God calls us, too. And Paul reminds us, as we live our lives, whatever our call, what our purpose should be. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, when Tom resigned, there was an absolute need to change and a drive to change. But whether it's Tom and all who were before him or Brady and all who will come after him, we, you and I, should constantly strive to change, to have the courage to change, to become better Christians so that we can live out God's grace and mercy to those around us. And just as a side note, just because Brady's here, we should still be courageous enough to individually change, to become better Christians to be the best ambassadors for Christ that we can be. The scriptures clearly teach us that God can use anyone to accomplish his purposes. We just have to be open and willing to hear that call from God. And during this need and call to change here at first, not surprisingly, God knew exactly what he was doing. He put a lot of us out of our comfort zone. He revived areas of ministry in this church and he stretched us. He made us uncomfortable. But as we're reminded in Romans, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn born among many brothers. And in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That is our comfort during change. Things may change in this building. Things may change in our lives. But God never changes for us. You know, Joshua's leadership is further evidenced when he urges his people to worship only one God and to put away their idols. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. That is our call, to serve the Lord. And first, we're in a season of change, and it is exciting. I just can't wait to see what happens. And we are so blessed with the Bryce, Bryce family being here with us, and I personally can't wait to journey with you all in Christ and be courageous in our pronouncement of the good news. And Brady, as you heard in the first service, and I'll tell you again, my personal encouragement to you as you begin to lead this church is that you be courageous, be innovative, stretch us, make us uncomfortable, and be loving. And have a whole lot of fun. I said a little in the first service, but I want you to have a whole lot of fun 
because the Lord our God is with you wherever you go. The change in transitions, right? It's never easy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's awkward. Like, and I'll guarantee at least two awkward transitions, right? As we kind of flip between the game show contestants or Larry, Moe, and Curly. I think I'm the one with a lot of hair, right? Whichever one has that lush black hair, that's me. But either way, it's not easy. It's one thing that we can constantly and continually depend on. Change will and always does happen. We are truly creatures of habit, aren't we? So I'm reminded of an old story where a husband asks his wife, and he asks it in a very loving way, honey, why do you continually cut off the ends of the pot roast? She smiles back and she says, well, because it's the way that my mom always did it. So now whether this man was brilliant or he was just about ready to step on a landmine, he says, okay, well, I'm going to dig a little bit further into this. He calls up his mother-in-law and asks, so your daughter just said that you guys always cut off the ends of the pot roast. Why did you do that? She goes, oh, well, that's the way that my mother always did it. And again, the man digs just a little bit deeper, calls up his wife's grandmother, and she laughs, and she goes, I have no idea why those two ladies cut off the ends of their pot roast. I did it because our pot roast never fit in the pan that I had. <laughs> so like Chris alluded to, right, change is something that needs to happen from time to time. Jesus even calls it out in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Matthew 17, when he actually says, neither do, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins, if they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So how do we handle this type of change? How do we handle something that's going on like it is here at first? I have a few tips. First, we must be content. Second, we must remember the sovereignty of God and of Christ. Third, we must trust. And finally, we always must remember why why we're doing what we're doing. So Paul calls out Timothy, right, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And granted, I get, you know, I know that Paul is really referencing uh, and talking about false teachers, but just kind of bear with me here. He says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, contentment is a continual decision, right? It's not passive. This is something that we have to do day in and day out. Being content with what God has laid before us. And remember that it's not our plans. This has nothing to do with what we want. But we must have that contentment and we must continually be seeking through prayer, through digging through God's word, that very next step. Right? Recall Psalm 119. Your, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. But also, let's, let's recall where our contentment truly lies. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in every situation. Yet it was good for me to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. 
Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. And I have received full payment and have even more than enough. I am amply supplied. Your, your gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now hear this last part. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Because Paul was in some pretty bad situations. He was in some pretty bad, you know, he was in really some dire straits. And yet, he was content. Listen again to verse 19. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Something really interesting there. Paul's contentment, as ours should be as well, is in Jesus, not in the situations that he is currently in. They were in Jesus. Situations can, will change. I look at our youth sponsors, you know, like I, this morning I did this, and there's like nobody here in the front, front couple of rows. Now it makes a lot more sense. I look at like our youth sponsors down here, and they have done some amazing work. They have done great work, and they continue to do so. But I can guarantee you they are not content in the situation of not having a youth minister. They are not content with the lack of youth sponsors. They are not content in their situation. But they are content in Christ. You can walk up to any one of them and you can ask them, how's it going? We're doing good. We'll just keep going. They're persistent. They continually push through. So be content. But be content in Christ. Not in the situation. And while we are being content, we must remember the sovereignty of God. So Paul reminds us, and Chris read it earlier, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, and to be conformed to the image of his Son. Hear what he's saying. In all things, not in some things, not in things that I really am passionate about, not in the bad situations, not in the good situations, in all things things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, and that's just it. Right? Similar to being and choosing to be content in all situations, we must continually seek and find God's will. God knew that in the last 30 years that we would have a total of four ministers at First Christian Church. All of them have set up incremental changes right, to get us to this particular point right now. We often refer to these as times of seasons. And we're now at the precipice of our next season. Right? But regardless, we are still in the midst of change. Even while we step into the next season, we're still in the midst of change. But it should be comforting to know that the God that created this universe has also created this particular situation and that we are about ready to thrive in. We just need to persist. We need to keep going. So, remember, be content in Christ. Understand God's sovereignty and we must trust. Trust is so vital when it comes to dealing with change. Without trust, without the buy-in from everybody, no matter 
how well we plan, no matter how well we execute, we're not trusting change is pretty much pointless. So, in Matthew 19, Jesus even says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You've got to remember that God keeps his pr- promises, right? He kept his promise to Abraham. We see other, several examples without, throughout the Bible where God continually keeps his promises. So, if we put our trust in God, even in the times of change, all things are possible. Be content in God, remember the sovereignty of Christ, and trust that all things are possible. But we also must remember why we're doing what we're doing. It's not about us. We've got to keep our eyes up. We must keep focused on what we are here to do. This is about the kingdom. This is kingdom work right here. Philippians 3 says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for each Uh, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. And again in Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We are to run the race, yes. And recall that, again, this really isn't about me. It's not about Tom. It's not even about Brady. This is about doing what we were called to do, which was to bring Christ to a community in need, and to bring Jesus to a community in need in a loving, kind, compassionate, and truthful way. Dealing with change, it's really, when we think about it, pretty simple, right? Be content in Christ. Remember the sovereignty of God. Trust that all things are possible. And we need to remember the why. So where do we go from here? I'm going to let Tom answer that question. asked me, excuse me, get this up here, PD asked me if I would speak this morning, and the next day I began thinking about what I might say while I was working in the flower garden in my backyard, and it occurred to me that there are a number of parallels between First Christian Church beginning a new season of opportunity and a garden entering a season of rejuvenation in the springtime. Folks, God, by his grace and according to his purpose, has given First Christian a new spring season of opportunity. And he has sent us a new head gardener in Brady Bryce, who is trained and experienced to guide us along the path and to cultivate and nurture our garden through the season ahead. Jesus is our chief gardener, and we can be assured that he already has designed the kind of garden First Christian is to become. Of course, it will take planting and fertilizing and watering and tending and, yes, even pruning. And in the first service, I stopped here and I asked Brady if he had brought either pruning shears or if he would bring rock And he told me between services, no, that he had gone and got one of these big shuttles on top of a pole to get the really <laughs> hard stuff, you know. So there we go, folks. Uh, but all that work's not idle. For at the height of springtime, the well-tended garden blooms and flourishes and becomes what it's designed to be. So it is now at First Christian Church. 
It is a new spring season for us and the time for this garden to rejuvenate and then to flourish is just ahead. And every garden in spring has just come to a season of dormancy. And I suspect that First Christian now has some areas of dormancy that we need to call out and put behind us. And if that is true for the organization as a whole, I know it's true for each one of us. I know it's true for me. And if I permit myself to remain dormant, I will miss this spring season. Let us commit to prune out our dormant parts and replace them with new growth. Yes, the journey ahead will require work, and it will require change, perhaps many changes, and so it is with the garden. If you knew my wife, she had a big green truck, and she was really good at that. Every spring, she figured out what needed to be rooted out or cut out or replaced with new plants, and every year, the garden was better for it. Now that it is my garden, I'm just learning how to do that the right way. It's the same in the church. We have to learn where change is needed and how to make the right changes. But I think willingness to change is probably 90% of this task ahead. So now we stand, as we stand at this threshold of a new season of First Christian, I suggest there are four key words, beginning with the letter E, that can guide us as we undertake the task ahead. Did James Parrish speak to this group? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> James Parrish already then gave us the first key word several weeks ago when he so eloquently and passionately challenged us to do something. Do you remember what it was? Engage. Engage, engage. Engage the culture and bring Jesus as we do. That's the first key word. The second key word is embrace. God is presenting us a new opportunity, and we must embrace it, or else it will slip away. A quote from Shakespeare that I had to memorize in English literature class has stuck with me down through the years. It is from the play Julius Caesar, in which the character Brutus says, There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and miseries. The point is, when the tide of opportunity comes in, it must be taken there, else it will be missed, and what remains thereafter is mired in mediocrity. God has given us this high tide now, and we must embrace it now. The third key word is excited. Any new journey can be faced with excitement or with anxiety, or even apathy. It is a choice. Let us choose to be excited, and we don't need to clearly see the final destination that the Lord has planned for us to be excited at the beginning and along the journey. The journey itself is going to be exciting because it's a kingdom journey with a kingdom focus. And the fourth, for the fourth key word, I must go back in time. When my wife and I moved to Albuquerque in late 1974 and, and joined First Christian, Rufus Stroud was an elder here then. I'm sure there's more in the first service that remember Rufus that, are in the, that knew him in this service, but to me, Rufus was like a, an Abraham Lincoln type of person in the congregation, and I looked up to him for wisdom and, and for leadership. Uh, 
the next year, First Christian began the building project that added this new sanctuary in the classrooms downstairs. And to finance the project, the church undertook to sell church bonds. Rufus was tasked by the leaders to go speak to each Sunday school class and also to the congregation uh, as a whole to promote buying the church bonds and participate in selling the church bonds. At the end and at the close of each of his pitches to those groups, he stood up real erect and he held up his fist and he, in his deep Abraham Lincoln voice, he declared, I am enthusiastic. That's our fourth key word. Folks, as we undertake this journey together, let us engage our culture and bring Jesus to the people. Let us embrace this opportunity that God has given us. Let us be excited about the journey ahead. And like Rufus, let us be enthusiastic. Thank you. Father God, we thank you for not only this journey in this season, but for all the journeys that you give us. May, may we fully embrace the love that you have to give. May we be excited as we journey forth with Brady. But we, may we be content with where we are. Lord, thank you for loving us and giving your son to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.